CabanaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. All right, so I'm walking down the road in the East Village of New York City. I am joined by Matt Ferrando. Say hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. And oldie but very goodie for longtime listeners to the Top 8 Magic Podcast. It is... Julian? Julian? It is... Tin, this Tin Street Julian. Sure. <laughs> Barn Julian, the in, the InSync intern. Was that where... I don't remember that one, but it's possible. So... Uh, former number one apprentice, Julian Levin. You were a former number one? Former number one apprentice. I think I've been former number one apprentice for a while. For a while. <laughs> are you, are you before even there was another number one apprentice. I, I think that the, 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 <laughs> Julian's tenure as a former number one apprentice far exceeds his, his tenure as a number one yeah, apprentice. That's definitely true. Uh, do you remember when Will Pop was trying to be the number one apprentice? I do. I thought there were, like, Asher was there, and then he decided to, Asher to go was with like, Chris Manning. Instead. He was, like, the number one apprentice for, like, 30 seconds. <laughs> like, he did it's weird. You know, Asher was a good apprentice when you were still the number one apprentice. Like, you would just come together and do, like, apprentice things. But, like, when you left, like, Asher would be like, all right, I'm going to go fulfill some apprentice obligations. And then he just wouldn't do them. Mm. Like, part of being the number one apprentice was playing the deck I said to play. <laughs> And he just wouldn't do that, right? Yeah, like, I got burned by that more than one time. Yeah, you also won plenty of times. Thank you very much. Okay. For some I, reason, I recall losing the state championship to you. For some reason, the bad the bad decks stick out more than the good decks. Maybe they should have. But do you remember that run where all of us played my blue white deck? Literally the same physical blue white deck. We just passed it from player to player like VD, and then whoever played it like won the Northeast Championship that week until we were all qualified. Yes, there were definitely good ones too. For, for whatever reason, I yeah. Of course, the bad ones are gonna sting in your head, but like, I don't know. It's fair. It's very ideally. Fair. <laughs> ideally, um, you know, we want to maximize our good, our good emotions and our good memories of our friends and playing Magic and that kind of stuff so hopefully you remember being the state champion that was actually the first uh the first ever top eight magic podcast was me in the top eight was that it the very first one i didn't know that i lost you in the finals remember yeah of course you offered me the championship just out of friendship or whatever and i'm like no i'll i'll play for it (laughs) you you shipped me the deck like you were so nice and gracious about the whole thing and i was like oh we're playing in the finals like it feels like the right thing to do. I don't know. Yeah, I was also like 14 years old, so I don't really know what's going on. Rushed me to uh, <laughs> like a bug. I was destroyed. Yeah, that's all right. I won the next year. Is that true? I did. I was uh, this girl the next year. Remember? Oh, actually, what was was that like? Uh, like white, blue, red. Yeah, the lightning, the lightning, lightning angel, angel deck. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, I won yeah. the next year. Actually, I did. Uh, that the tournament report for that one is called Winner Winner Chicken Dinner. And I did it in the Ancestor Recall podcast with Roman Fusco. The next year? Well, no, I have a new podcast called the Ancestor Recall podcast, which, uh, you know, I, why is it called the Ancestor Recall? So it's just like uh, recalling our ancestry. It's uh, like, rereading old, awesome articles. That's it. That seems like a very, like, high-end name. Like it's a Cipriani of names. Cipriani? 
Is it Chip Neal? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, ouch. I, I mean, I always hear rappers say Cipriani, so that's why. Oh well. He's it, like it, a poetry it, major, so I think I'm gonna back him on this one over whatever nonsense rapper you've been listening to. You mean us? Sure. <laughs> one of your favorite sure. rappers. Sure. Oh, uh, there's a there's a guy at um, the archery range I, I frequent called Nas, who's a teacher. Is he also a rapper from Queensbridge? Is he Nas Nasir Jones? I don't know the answer to any of these questions. Probably not. You know, told me to keep my back. I got, I got to ask you about something you said right when you started recording. Yeah. You said we're walking up the road down in the, the East road. Village. Yeah, in the East Village. Okay. Yeah. Would you consider this a road? This feels like a street to me. <laughs> and I, I, I'm asking for a specific reason, but uh, how do you differentiate between road and street? Uh, I, I don't know. It's the same. We're actually on an avenue. If we were in Queens, there would there could be like a a corner that would be literally like. 31st Street, 31st Road, 31st Avenue, all next to each other. We're on yeah, an a avenue. A road feels like very country, like your old dirt road, no? Um, I, I hadn't put that much thought into it. I was really just kind of concentrating on the return of Barn Julian, the NSYNC intern. <laughs> okay. Uh, you were some sort of like Grand Arbiter the fourth at the end of your title at some point, right? That's right. Well, that's, I made my, my, my moto name at that point. Yeah? Mother Superior, the fourth. Yeah, Mother Superior <laughs> the Fourth, right? Like I can't remember. You, you had so I don't know, Alpha about someone who's been listening for ten plus years. Uh, write in the comments what Julian's old nickname was. I don't, I don't recall. So I don't know how long has it been since you were on the Top Eight Magic podcast, Julian. Well, Matt and I were talking about this. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, probably at least eight years. I don't know. Yeah, something, so in, something in that range, eight to ten years. It's it's still chugging along with its uh, biannual publishing schedule. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Chugging along. So uh, so you were completely unfazed by my mentioning of my, my current apprentice, Roman Fusco. No, he was phased. I was, he was, phased. I was very phased, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to Roman hold it had in. the number one title. I don't know who he is. I've never met him before, so I, I don't want to pass judgment. Oh, wait. You've never met Roman. Is that is that the case? I thought you had met Roman for very briefly, but you, I guess you just weren't paying attention. I heard... But you met Roman outside of a Wendy's today at the Grand Prix. That's what Matt Ferrando said, but I I don't know that that's... I mean, it sounds like it happened. I just wasn't paying attention. <laughs> we, like, walked past somebody, but I I can't even say I was looking up or... You're just I don't, I don't know. Roman's credentials just don't phase you. You're just, he just doesn't gleam with so, recognition. So, before we started recording, you know, I tried to set this up. I didn't do a very good job of it. Like, but at dinner, like... Julian's Julian's face just got longer and longer. He's just like, well, who's this Roman kid? I'm like, oh, I barn Dex from him. <laughs> uh, we have a podcast together. Uh, so he's made a couple of classic top eights. And he's just like getting longer and longer in the face. He's just like, what is this? I mean, obviously, there's, you know, there's a little hole in my heart where the number one apprentice used to be, but... I guess but you're I feel a married like, man, Julian. I feel you have a like beautiful wife and an actuarial that, career. You can't dog. leave that vacant forever. <clears throat> what, what can I ask of you? That you're never going to have a number one apprentice again? It's only right. All right. So, obviously not. You were replaced by Asher, albeit briefly. <laughs> he was a terrible number one apprentice. Will Pop. Now, there was an embarrassment of a number one apprentice. I mean, he was he was like all in. He was just like, I'm going to be a great number one apprentice, Michael J. And he was, he, he was a worse number one apprentice than Asher while saying he was going to be a great number one apprentice. Asher, at least, you know, had, had the courtesy of never deferring to me. <laughs> He's just like, this is a stupid idea, Michael J. Um, so anyway, 
uh, Magic the Gathering, actual Magic the Gathering. So y'all two, so you're in town uh, because, so Julian lives in Chicago now, yes. Chicago area. Um, and he is in town because he came uh, eastward to play in Grand Prix Washington, D.C. Well, no, it was a fantasy football draft. Yes, but GP happened to coincide. Okay. Happened to coincide. That's fair. All That's right. Good way to put it. There was, a, uh, from the perspective of Top 8 Magic listeners, <laughs> there was a GP. All right. Came to GP, and then you came up um, to go home, so you were with Matt today, and then we had dinner and some That's ice right. cream. Yep. Um, Conveniently, uh, neither Matt or I made day two, so it worked out very nicely <laughs> well, that we I could... I could have played in day two. I chose not to, because okay. I think that playing in day two at X3 is just demeaning. Why? Because it's terrible. What if you make the run? Uh, a run for not getting top eight? I mean, you could still get something, right? That I can get, what, like a pat on the back that doesn't qualify me for a PT? Yeah. Joy? What about joy? There's no, no joy. No there's joy. No, there's no joy there. All right, so... If it doesn't qualify for a PT, I don't really care. So let's talk about the deck choices, though. So, Julian, you won a bunch of stuff on Magic Online in preparation, and you even won, uh, you went 5-0 to win a grinder on Friday, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, there was, uh, I came in the day before, I, I was planning to come into New York, but I changed my flight last minute to go into D.C., um, so I could play in the, the GP Trials on Friday, and, How yeah. many Trials did you play? I played in one at, uh, and I lost immediately to, like, a, this horse deck, and, like, <laughs> Horse I, I, Tribal?! I, had, I, had, I honestly had no yeah. idea what was going on the whole game. I thought he was just playing some weird homebrew. No. Turns out it's a real game, a real deck. I got well, crushed. To say that it's a real deck is kind of is kind of a, a broad statement, but okay. he, he has cards like Authority of the Councils, right? Yes, he Which definitely is had Authority of the Councils. Very good against you. The Crested Sunmare was the key, <laughs> obviously. And uh, that card crushed me. He had many, many horses. So, um, well, yeah. the, but the thing is, like, your deck has like a lot of, you know reliance on the ability to drop a guy to get your vehicles online and if all your guys are coming in to play tapped then you can't do that right so yeah, you're just yeah, a yeah. normal the councils deck. was definitely annoying um i think it was more just in not knowing really what he was trying to do or how to attack him in the right way that i lost because i happened to in the, the second trial which i won played against the exact same deck <laughs> In round one, yeah, a different guy, but oh my god, so you're somewhere that kind of crushed him. It was very, so your heart was in your shoes. Like, what happens? Like, you're like, oh, you just lost to this brewish horse tribal, like, like mono white mid range life gain deck, right? Right, right, right. And then your your opponent's like, you know, fifth turn crested sun mary again. Like, how do you feel? Like, I I felt very defeated. I had to sit around for, I don't know. Well, actually, no, the second time, the second time. Let me just, so I don't know if you, you even know this, but the power went out in Virginia where we were. Oh, I did not we know were that. literally playing in the dark. I lost the first one. You're like squinting to even see the, the, the match, see what's going on. So the, I just felt, you're right, I felt very defeated. It was, so I, I played the exact same deck in the round two, but I, I actually, I felt good because I knew I didn't play well in the first match because I had no idea what he was doing. Yeah. He was playing card after card. I never, like, I had to read the card to even see what he was doing. So once... Yeah, who the hell I knows what's in the Crested Sunmare deck? Yeah, so once I understood what the mechanics were, that, like, he had the land to gain a life after he played the Crested Sunmare, that, like, I had to, like, leave... Oh, he had unlic- the try land to gain life? Right, so yeah. I had to, like, leave un- unlicensed... Center- I was playing Mardu. You have to put- leave un- unlicensed disintegration. So just up. a stock Mardu vehicles deck? Yeah, fairly stock, I would say. So, like, did you play the 2-3 the guy for R or no? The two three guy for no, I did not. I had the um, three two guy for W though, right? Yes, yeah. One two um, guy. Three Inspector, two craft exemplar, Pia, 
Um, four hearts. Your harvester. Three hearts. Three hearts? Three hearts. What's wrong with you? It's legendary. Um, there's not that many cards that can actually crew it in the deck. You, I went down to two Gideons. Oh yeah? So you you only have um, two craft exemplars and scrap heap scroungers and Gideon to, to crew it. to under the teamer decks. Yeah, yeah, rather exactly. Rather than trying to meet them. Yeah, yeah, well, you're definitely trying to be, you're trying to out aggro the teamer decks. Yeah. Does that work? Like, don't they just play like a sweet guy and you can't attack into it? You have like tons of removal. I, I, yeah, but their guy is like either has like hex proof on demand or makes three one one flyers. The hex proof guy's a little annoying. The other guy you can kill with the energy on the stack. Um, I, I I ended up splitting games over the weekend with Teamer. Um, I think I went two and two, but I don't think it's a bad matchup. I think if I played it a little more, I think it might be better. I, um, so uh, let's talk about the trial where you were successful. We went five and zero oh in the trial. Yep. What were your opponents? First round Crested Sun Mirror deck. Yep. You demolish him? Yeah, yeah, actually. It was yeah. very quick. All right. Uh, just because, I mean, the one thing about the Mardu deck, I got to say, is if you just draw like two or three unlicensed disintegrations, you it's, pretty yeah, much yeah. always win. That's the reason I actually wanted to play the deck. It's just inherently very <laughs> powerful. It, you just have the draws where you're like, two, turn two, or turn one, Toolcraft Exemplar, turn two, Heart of Kirin, turn three, Scrappy Scrounger, you just can't lose. Um, I like playing decks where you just have inherently powerful draws that are tough to beat and that are, you know, when you, ha when you draw a little bit worse, it's just a, a tighter match. I don't yeah. know. Um, and then, so, second round you play against? Um, a zombie deck, um, which isn't a great matchup, actually. I, I feel like that'd be a good de deck, a uh, good matchup for the zombie side. Yeah, it is. Um, it's like a mirror, but they have, like, don't, don't have janky mana. Right, and like cards like Dark Salvation and Liliana's Mastery just outclass you. It's much better. Um, I, I don't know. I, I drew better game one and, and games two and three. My sideboard's really... I have like Radiant Flames and Declaration Stone. Like, I, I just have a, a, a number of cards to bring against There's them. There's a mono removal deck. You take out all your like aggro guys and then... Yeah, yeah. Like I, go, I just dump a bunch of Planeswalkers in. Yeah. yeah. And Radiant Flames is excellent against them. Um, so I took that one. Round... You're... I don't exactly even remember what I played round three. There was a green-white ramp deck in there somewhere. You mentioned that. Green-white ramp? That you played against it, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I had Doomfalls on the board, which are very good against them. And then I played against a Teamer Energy deck, which so I beat. You like, you like Doomfall? I think it kind of, it's kind of a clunky card to me. It is a kind of a clunky card. It's very good against the Green Art Ramp decks, though. <coughs> because they're, all their cards are expensive, so that you have time to use it. You have time to coercion them. Yeah, I mean, you can use it on turn four, and it's no problem. And then if they happen to get an Ulamog in play, or they happen to get a... Um, you can kill it to You death. can just kill it, yeah, once it's in play. It's a good top deck. That's all I got. All right, that's what you got. All right, so... <laughs> Uh, Matt, you played a green-white ramp deck, right? I did. Uh, the deck was good. I So a few days before uh, the GP, I hadn't gotten a lot of testing in, and I wanted to play blue-black because I felt that like the removal was kind of reasonable and Scare of God was like pretty good. And so I was looking at different variations, and I was watching Steve testing it on... Uh, he was testing it and streaming it on Twitch. Who was? And, I'm sorry. Uh, Nassif. Oh, Gabriel Nassif. Yeah. And I was watching him play, and it's like it seemed like it was pretty reasonable. But then I started playing games, and the uh, and 
I couldn't beat, I was playing against Miles Rodriguez and he was playing the red deck, obviously. And he I- He only ever plays red. Almost always. In every format. So it's just- Sometimes be, there's formats where he can't play red and he doesn't play red. To be fair, Miles just top eight of the Star City Classic like three weeks ago. Playing a red deck, red. Yes, yeah. first in the Swiss. Uh, and so I couldn't beat him playing red, which is understandable because uh, the blue-black matchup is not very good for, uh, is not very good against red. And then I started playing against Teamer, which blue-black is supposed to be favored against. And I was trying out the different variations and there were just too many scenarios where it was hard for the blue-black deck to actually beat Teamer. Like there were scenarios where they would have lots of energy and once a Bristling Hydra was played, you couldn't fight through it if it resolved. Yeah, I found that, um, I mean, a variety of decks, but I mostly recently was also playing Ramen Up Red. Yeah. And, you know, you could just be playing your hardest and they just get into a spot where they just like cast a, a Hydra with 11 energy in play. Yeah. And you just can't win. Like you just have like Hazard on D and they just end up trampling over you at some point. Yeah. And so <laughs> I was like, basically, I think I had maybe won two games against Teamer and had lost maybe three or four and thought that like if this is supposed to be a good matchup but the scenarios are happening too often then this is not a place where I want to be. Did you have Bonsu's Last Reckoning? No. I don't think that card's good. Uh, I'm not arguing that it's so good but it seems like it would be very effective in the scenarios you're talking about losing in. Sure. Uh, and so I was like talking to Brian Gottlieb while I was trying to figure out what to play and he recommended green-white approach and at that point after seeing that I couldn't win with blue-black I was like well I'm either gonna play red deck or I'm gonna play green-white approach and I very last minute on Friday before my car left for the GP I built the deck on moto and played two and a half matches with it and won both of the matches I won one match I lost another <laughs> and I lost the first game of the last match and so. left before I could sideboard because <laughs> the car was about to leave. I had to get the cards from Landy Ho and, you know, get to Jeep, I get to DC. And so, so this sounds like a, just a, the greatest resume ever for like, oh, sure. And I'm so one, one and not really another one. The way the deck basically functioned, it just felt like I was doing things differently than other people were doing in the format. And so I liked <laughs> the appeal of that. It's just like people weren't really just lining up. Uh, with what you were doing. Like you're playing a ramp deck, red green ramp is already a thing, but like here you have like this different angle where you can attack red decks. And so I played- I, I played a fair amount of green white um, ramp myself. Uh, and one of the things I liked about it is, first of all, you could just go first or you could get your big guys before them. But because you had Descend Upon the Sinful Access, like I know you only played one copy, right? I only played one copy. Uh, but you at least have it, right? Like, yeah. uh, it was an opportunity to kill World Breaker and Ulamog. Yeah. And a lot of the time, the green-red ramp deck, like they're all in on whatever the huge fatty they've got. Like that's their way to win. Yeah. If you know, if you, if you answer, they don't have another one because they're just banking on, you know, they get a huge advantage with it and they win. So if you can, even if they like, kill two of your lands if you can just cast a descend upon the sinful or even a cast out the next turn yeah then they might be they might be a um you know set back far enough that you can recover and then win with your huge fatty which they can't remove yeah that's the big difference so i think that i played every round i had two buys i played against three teamer decks i played against a grixis control that was splashing for scare of god and nicobolus I so played. it's like blue red splashing those two black cards. Yes. I played against uh, Brad Nelson playing Eldrazi White. Uh, I got demolished by him on camera because I just 
didn't realize what was in the deck. It just didn't connect until after the match. Oh, so uh, actually, can we talk about this for a little bit? I didn't see your camera match, but we were kind of talking about the Eldrazi white deck at dinner, and I was saying it seemed like, to me, like kind of a poor ramp deck, right? It's like a rampish deck that doesn't have any of the ramping cards. Uh, I don't think that's actually. It's, I don't think it's a ramping deck at all. I think no. it's just. It's just another. It's like another mid-range deck. It functions very similarly to how. Uh, it actually functions similar to how uh, Teamer is, except it doesn't rely on energy. It doesn't rely on like a sketchy mana base. Or Teamer isn't doesn't really have a sketchy mana base. But, but okay, it's, it's an uncomplicated deck. mana base. Right? Like each, like both decks have like a premier play on each turn. Like except that instead of tune with Ether, they have Thraven Inspector. So like the white deck has the ability has like these weird angles where it can go wide because it has spawning pool and Sheffit dunes and so it has it's kind of like a teamer deck that has the access to attack on a different angle whereas a teamer deck the only way it can go wide is with whirler virtuoso but because it doesn't have access to card like Sheffit dunes it can't go wide and be effective at the same time so it can't apply pressure Sheffit dunes is the white desert that allows you to give all your creatures plus one plus one right yes so the, let me just explain my position on what i was saying about it's a ramping deck it seems to me that like while the Eldrazi white deck has some white weenie-ish elements, right? It can go Thraven Inspector, Selfless Spirit, like that could be its opening, right? Yeah. You know, curve into maybe Eldrazi Displacer on turn three. It has this long-term thing where it's just gotta have like Eldrazi Displacer mana or be able to just land fives. And it doesn't have any of the trappings of a deck that's good at landing fives, right? So. Um, example. It, it landed a five against me. Oh, yeah, he fived your face, right? <laughs> but if you look at like previous decks that are about landing fives, either they're green, right? Okay. Like green white tokens, um, or they have cards like Smuggler's Copter that help them get to the get to the resources that they need, mm -hmm. uh, or you know they're you know blue decks just fundamentally can get can get uh, up in mana, you know, depending on which yeah. cards which cards they've got. Versus like this deck, it's it's really like. It, it, from my observation, it's really like kind of tied down to whatever the top of its deck says it's going to draw. Yeah, but the thing is, is like, while it <coughs> might not have the ability of like card selection, whereas like the green decks have sometimes, it just like it has card quality. So it's like, I only really need this in order to win the game as long as things line up properly. I, I think the other key, I would say, I mean, green white ramp beat the minor world Eldrazi in the, in the semifinals of the GP, but. I so you're they, saying it's just a skill thing that Matt is no, 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 so badly outclassed by Brad? I Nelson? mean, also Thought Not Seared fucking demolished me. Well, that's what, that's what I was going to get to is they, they have hand disruption. Yes. The, the green white deck doesn't have. It doesn't actually have that many threats. Yeah, Brad also went up to eight, went up to four Warping Wells post board, which is like the basic problem that. Uh, that the green white ramp decks have against decks that just have negate. So it oh, guess he just can me, just envelop you, right? Yeah. It, the problem is just like, <coughs> it put me in a very awkward scenario where I was like, I know he has at least three warping worlds in the sideboard. He might have all four. So it's like when I was talking to Gottlieb about this, he was like, basically any deck that can board in negate, you want to board out all your large sorceries. Good job. So you board out your approaches, you board out some number of your rats. Sometimes you board out your hours because it's just like. You know, if they paid two But your deck doesn't to... even work if, if you're boarding some of these cards out, right? Uh, but the thing is, like, the way I was doing it, I was boarding in just a ton of creatures. And so I was just hoping to be able to and you had match some good his creatures, creatures in your with my you creatures. Have? Yeah, so I had Lidvalas, I had uh, Crackles, uh, Regal Caracles, I had Oblivion Sowers. 
So I, I was just oh, like, wait, wait. so we've had this discussion like a month ago. I said Oblivion Sower is the best card nobody plays. Uh, I think it's outstanding. I think it's super am, outstanding in a ramp deck. I am convinced now that Oblivion Sower is very good out of the sideboard against a lot of decks. Like I, 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 I boarded it in against Teamer, and it usually hit one to two lands every single time. And it, I mean, the thing is, Teamer plays twenty-two lands. Yeah. So. I'm boarding it in knowing that I'll probably only ever hit one land off of it. But the thing is, it's still a 5-8, which is so it's, hard for them to beat. It's weird because it feels like an artifact, but it's not an artifact, so they can't, like, abrade it. No. Yeah, so it's a... Uh, these are the observations I make about Oblivion Sower. I played a lot of Oblivion Sower last month. A, I would rather, like, if I had 10 mana in play, like, including maybe, you know, some Eldrazi double lands, my preference was often just to play an Oblivion Sower if I had a second Oblivion Sower in my hand, rather than even to play Ulamog. Because I was just like, I'll get such an advantage from these Oblivion Sowers, it's hard for the opponent to deal with them. Yeah. And then, like, the, the, the card that they could deal with the Oblivion Sower, they'll often have to use a card that would have been powerful enough to stop Ulamog to do this. Mm -hmm. And that, like, you just have a huge advantage already. And it's a huge amount of card advantage, potentially, anyway. And, like, the first Oblivion Sower could potentially set up the second Oblivion Sower if I only have 10 mana, right? Yeah. All right, so... I did that a lot, but the thing that I was so convinced on Oblivion Sower, uh, even before Roman did well with the blue-white deck, but like, um, if you ever hit someone with an Ulamog, and then they deal with your Ulamog, and then you play an Oblivion Sower, my god. I it's mean, if you're unbelievable. With an Ulamog, I think you're going to win anyway. No, but it's just like we were talking about before with like the green-red deck. Y you could be like, not all in, but largely in on one of these big threats, mm -hmm. and then they deal with it and then like a lot of the time you just you don't have you it's not that you have nothing but like you know a lot of your energy was put into landing this one big threat yeah and a post ulamog attack oblivion sower will often put that's, like seven land in play and apparently according to julian that's literally what happened in the final somebody attacked with an ulamog and then they cast an oblivion sower. i think it was the semis, but the yeah. semis. Yeah. like i mean the first time i did that i was like my god how this card is amazing and then um and then the other thing is when, when, uh, when Roman actually did well with that blue-white deck, um, uh, I found the Ulamog, I'm sorry, the Oblivion Sower sideboard to be one of the best possible strategies you could have against uh, Approach of the Second Sun's decks because uh, you can't counterspell the ability very well, right? You can only counterspell the ability with uh, a pretty narrow band of cards. Um, and you know, like they could they could counter the creature itself. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, hey. Leave the lights on. Oh, outside the hallway. They could counter the creature itself, but they can't counter uh, the sower's ability. So you could grab um, grab the uh, the approach to the second sons if you time it correctly. Were those Matt Wayne's parents? Yes. <laughs> Was that actual Wind Wayne? Yes. Oh my gosh. They're just like rando here and. and, and I mean, it's, it's their business. They can do whatever they want with it. But it's like Sunday night. Like I'm, I'm eating dinner with friends and ice cream and walking around podcasting while walking down a road avenue or street. I mean, everybody has their own thing. Yeah. Why are you being so judgy, Michael Bit? I'm not trying to be judgy. Just not to be when you said we're coming to Chinatown, I didn't know what you meant. I guess we're literally Chinatown. <laughs> we're, we're coming to the Top 8 Magic office. Well, I am... We left all our yeah, stuff here we left before all we went to dinner. Here. So I have, like, luggage. So we weren't carrying things around like Stephen Landsberg. <laughs>
nice. Wait, so I'm looking around. Look at all these battle royales. I could just take those and let Bella read them. Those are mats, right? Uh, probably Wang too. Wait, who else's would they be, right? Oh, uh, let's see. Walking. Let's see. What, what should I? Do? Oh, Starman. Look at those two Starmans he's got. I'm gonna use bathroom. <laughs> you figure out what you want to do. All right. So we're gonna keep talking. All right. Um. So what did you? What were your impressions of the Grand Prix? Um. It was interesting. It was a very diverse format. I think uh, Matt and I were both talking how we wish there was another GP or another event for standard before a rotation because we both think it's a really great format. I think both our our deck choices were well positioned. It was the finals in the in the GP, so I don't think either of us have regrets about what we played. In terms of um, archetype, but it, probably in terms you know, of details you could have done better, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, Matt, certainly, he, he we, we talked a lot about it, actually. He wanted to get Walking Ballista into his deck. He was... Why is Walking Ballista so great in the green-white deck? It just seems like an awkward card to me a lot of the time. Um, I think it is sometimes, but it, it just fits in the curve where you need it to. There's, especially against a more aggressive draw that you just, whether it's on turn four or turn two, you don't have a lot of plays. Where yeah, you... but it's just, it's just, its impact is minimal. That's the thing. Like, you play a turn two walking ballista, it's not doing, it's not stopping. It can buy you time a little bit. And I think his biggest thing was around um, the land. I don't remember what it's called. The one that, like, has to trigger and then you can sack it and search for Ulamog. That you could cast the walking ballista on eight if you needed to to, to trigger the, um, the Eldrazi land. Oh, I see. Oh, that seems like kind of a cornerish thing to me. Okay. He he seemed pretty intent on it, but my I, green know, I wasn't playing the deck all weekend, so it's hard for me My to green say. white deck just has Traverse the Open Wall, so you can... It's really easy to get Delirium if you want to get it in green white and standard, like you play... Sure. Um, Dissenter's Deliverance cast out, uh, Evolving Wilds, and you know a billion different creatures and, and sorceries. It's yeah. so easy to, to get Delirium, and then you just have a... You don't have to make the play that you made. You could just <laughs> just use demonic tutor. Yeah, to get just there, get yeah. get whatever card you want. Yeah, yeah. But the card you want could be like a singleton copy of Ishkana, which, by the way, has delirium, right? and then you know it's stops the harder deck card. by itself. Yeah, right. Or gets your one copy of Linvala, which is you know stops the opponent by itself. Yeah, those are. Um, I, I think it's highly advantageous to go this way. But Matt was making the argument that my configuration maybe isn't as good as it could be because there's not a lot of key fours. It's not like you're landing a Galaxanon Hierarch on turn three or something. The best four mana play is... Uh, unless you're doing something along the lines of you have three land in play, you cast a you cast a, uh, a tireless tracker, and then you like play an Evolving Wilds on turn three. Like That's pretty cool, right? Are you playing... Were you, do you have tireless trackers in your main, or is it... A it's in my sideboard, yeah. Okay. But that's a powerful ability, right? Oh, um, definitely. The most, the I think the most curvy thing that I can do is just to cast a Shuffet Monitor cycle on turn three, which is hmm. you, you probably didn't even play Shuffet Monitor, right? In what? In your green white deck. I would not even think about playing that card ever again. No. You don't like Shuffet Monitor? I think it's only good if control is important, and I don't think control is important. Um, I thought that the green white deck that how I made it was like okay against red. Like obviously it's not the matchup you want, right? No. It's okay. Uh, and then like I thought my red matchup was amazing the way I built the way it was built. I did too yeah. which is why I played the deck but there was very little red as far as I saw at the, at the I, GP I, I played against one red deck uh, I played against Michael Simon who I'm pretty sure is top 8 at a GP or 2 yeah uh, in game 1 I think I double approached him in consecutive turns yeah in game 2 I drew 3 authority of the councils and lost because he managed to uh, ultimate Chandra 
And in game three, I cast Overwhelming Splendor out of my sideboard uh, to shut off his entire deck. So I actually want to talk about the Overwhelming Splendor aspect of your deck in a second. Okay. Um, but I, the way I had it set up, I thought that I had a great matchup in almost every matchup, and then, like, okay against, like, red. Yeah. I, I had a match once uh, against Zombies where I mulliganed to five to start. My opponent mm -hmm. ultimated Liliana before I could do anything. And I just happened, I just like laid out all my authority of the councils that I drew. So I got a lot of triggers from his Liliana ultimate. Yeah. And I just killed him with like, I cast, I think, three consecutive Descend Upon the Sinfuls. So I just like get in for four. Like he'd hit me for a little bit, but I gain a bunch of life. And then I'd Wrath when it was like, you know, about to be too bad for me, right? Yeah. And then, which resets his Liliana ultimate, right? Then I get another four, four, and then I just got him with, you know, five attacks. Um, but that's predicated on having more descent upon the sinfuls and, and yeah. stuff like that. So, uh, overwhelming splendor. This is a, how much does it cost? Seven. It costs eight. Eight mana. Uh, so say what it is. It's it's uh, six white white. It's an aura curse, and it says you know you enchant a player, and it turns all of their creatures into one ones, uh, that have no abilities, and the players can't activate can't use activated abilities unless they're mana abilities or planeswalker loyalty abilities and so i played it and against red deck it absolutely shuts them down if you can check the board in any way well if you yeah. have this and a and a uh an authority of councils in play at the same time that's like a tremendous co combination i mean right? the thing is like basically even if you have this in play yeah. plus any creature even it's just like I had it in play, and then like I cast a regal caracal, or like I cast a regal caracal before, and it was just like so I have these one one life linkers against your one one creatures that don't do anything, and like the thing is he well, also there's two two life linkers, right? Well, he killed the caracal. Oh, okay. Uh, and so he also uh, he also couldn't activate his ram apparent ruins. Oh, that's a big game, right? Yeah. So he had he had absolutely no long game, and so the reason I was playing on my cyborg is because in my main deck I had two copies of open the armory which uh, it's a t one white and it's a sorcery. It lets you tutor your deck for an, in an aura or artifact. And the reason I played it was because when I looked at the list that Brian Gottlieb gave me, I felt like in game ones against red decks, you were just automatically going to lose unless you didn't have a Gift of Paradise on turn three. And so this lets you tutor for either Weirding Wood or Gift of Paradise on turn three if so you have it on turn one three. of them gets three life and then the other one lets you draw a gets, card. Gets so it's like you can line one up for a mid-range deck or a control deck or the other one for like uh, an aggressive matchup. So um, many of these ramp decks, whether green, white, or green, red, will play eight copies of these three casting cost uh, auras. Is that right? Yes. So you could theoretically play... Um, four copies of your, your Aura Searcher, and then only four, maybe like three and one or two and two. Yeah, so I had three Weirding Woods, I had four Gift of Paradise, I had one Spring to Mind, and I had two Open the Armories. So I, it seems to me, based on how you set it up, it might be better to just play four Open the Armories and reduce the number so, of... So, in hindsight... Because those are really bad long-term uh, top yeah. decks. In hindsight, I think that uh, um, approach was not very good. A lot of Would times, you sideboard it? I would consider sideboarding it for matchups that don't seem great. Uh, so, you know, you can have it as, like, a plan B against red decks. Uh, in my main deck with Open the Armory, I also had one Desert's Hold. Uh, it's a, a three-mana arrest that if you control a desert, you gain three life. And so I wanted a main deck way to turn off Well, Hazret. that seems exceptional to me. I thought it seemed really good to me. Well, no, in this strategy, right? Yeah. Like, I might even consider sideboarding additional copies. I thought about... A, I thought about having a compulsory area rest in my sideboard, so it's a two mana tutor, as opposed to a three mana tutor. So like for four mana, I can tutor for compulsory rest to deal with a creature, or for if I have five mana, 
I can tutor for Desert's Hold to deal with the creature. So, I would actually just make an argument around the Desert's Hold, which you only played one copy of, right? Yeah. This card is not appreciably weaker than um, than uh, Stasis Snare, unless we're talking about very specific types of creatures, no, right? I think it's probably just as fine. It also, it semi-turns off a Scarab God, uh, unless until they draw a second one, or they have a way to kill their own Scarab God. But my point is, yeah. like, it's actually, like... Like, people think of Stasis Snare as a very, very viable card to play, right? Yeah. This card's not that much worse, and it's actually substantially ha has some upside against cards like Hazard. Yeah. And, or, like, anything, right? Just on a curve basis, if you go, like, two, three into this, and then yeah. you, you know, do something else, it doesn't seem bad at all. And the, the so, three life is obviously very the meaningful three life against was super a red important. deck. Even, even a dude, it's good against yeah. zombies, I would assume, to a certain extent. I don't know. In hindsight, I think I would have cut Approach, or maybe put them in my sideboard, I wish I had a card like Walking Ballista, so I think I would have like swapped. You could play one Walking Ballista. It's an I wanted, artifact, right? I wanted to play four Walking Ballistas because the other problem that the deck has is that it doesn't have a lot of even costed plays. So sometimes you're just hemorrhaging your mana uh, plays, and so this is like it's a two mana play. You can play it on turn two, so you have that plus open the armory. You can play it on four. Uh, you can trigger it with. Uh, Sanctum of Ugin, or you can play it on six. So you, it's just like it has, it's just almost a perfect curve filler for your deck. That I was trying to explain. This Julian before, and I were talking about this when you were you know, in the can, well, but, but like I, I actually, I, I am not a huge fan. I, I the thing is like I agree with you that it's something that you can do yeah. on a lot of these turns, but its impact is so low relative to what the opponent is often doing with the same amount of mana. Like nobody's scared of a two mana walking. But the thing stuff. is, is like it's not there to win you a game it has the ability to do it it's just it's you're there. saying it's a bridge that's it's, it's time and the thing is i think that walking ballista gives you about as much time as approach of the second sun given how much damage you can take in the early game from mid-range decks and aggressive decks so you played thraven inspector rather than uh authority of the councils maybe? thraven inspector was amazing yeah i, I my version i had four thraven inspector and three it was great it was like any turn i got the chump block was just like it was almost like a time walk, except they got to progress. Open the armory, is that still going to be in standard? Is no, it's rotating. It's out. rotating. Yeah. Um, what are some other artifacts that you can search for? Uh, so uh, I was at, Michael Simon actually walked up to me today, and he was talking about uh, like just like the power level of the deck, and he thought that it's very easy to splash for there's a black curse that costs five black black, and it says that the player loses, the enchanted player loses five life, they sacrifice a creature or they sacrifice a planeswalker. It's I don't but it's remember. a curse. I think it's, it's cruel a cruel reality. Cruel reality. And then it's a, what it's a curse. So, but the thing is, because you have all these enchantments that tap for any color two mana, you can just tutor for it and play it. But I, I, I'm sorry, I don't understand. All, all, it does this thing one time. No, no, every no. Upkeep. It's a curse. Oh, it every, every upkeep. upkeep. Oh, it's that's, from Amonkhet. Yeah. It's oh, from that's Amonkhet. very powerful. So it's like so. There's a wind condition curse. There's overwhelming splendor, which I think I would have also played main deck, which is actually good with walking ballista if I would have. If that's a thing, I, it would have been something I needed to test a lot, though. I mean, uh, it's a minor thing to add a few black tapping lands, right? Like, you, well, no, you don't even need to add black tapping. Lands. No, no, it's a minor thing. Like, yeah. you, you could add two swamps; it doesn't disrupt your mana base that yeah. much. But you don't even need to have four copies of Eldrazi double lands, right? You get them no. with searching most of the time anyway, right? Uh, I think that if I had Walking Blessed, I would have even cut one of the shrines just to play a second Sanctum of Ugin, just because it's just. It would have been so great. Or at some point, you can just add lands. That's okay, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I was up to 27. Uh, oh, wow. That's a lot. Yeah, I cut one of the ramp spells uh, for an extra land because I wanted another colored source. I think I only played 22, but I have four Traverse Even Walled, so yeah. that, that's like having four more lands. I still think I would have wanted... Tw I, 
you just can never miss a land drop ever. It's not good if you do. I mean, I also did get land flooded a fair number of times. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, overall, I liked the idea of the deck, and I actually do you think it was pretty well positioned? I mean, it even top eighted. You said well, it's finals. You're, you're two finals, archetypes. Yeah. yeah. W- was the one in the finals also an approach to the second song? It was version? an approach build. Who yeah. who was it? Any, any, any I'm not sure. I know that Dan Ward also played uh, the deck, but I don't know how he ended up. Um, I mean, that that guy's the the guy who put approach to the second son on the map, kind of. And by kind of, I mean he got his ninth, and the only reason Roman got his top eight was because he's friends with Dan. <laughs> So I guess he he's a hundred percent. So Julian, do you play a lot of Magic? Is that a mm-hmm. thing? I play some. I mean, I've been playing more recently, um, mostly online. When are you gonna move back to New York? Uh, it sounds like never. Probably never. Yeah. Maybe in like three or four years, if possible. But it, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, but I've I've been playing more online. Your your dumb wife. She's like doing something in Chicago. Yeah, she's in the middle of a PhD program. So maybe when she's done. But um, oh, she's a doctor. In a few years, yes, but um, <laughs> uh, so maybe maybe when she's done, but uh, probably not. I don't know. I guess we'll, we'll have to well, see. Would you like Chicago better than New York? Are you like a deep dish pizza guy now? No, no, not at all. I no, actually he hates we, we pizza talked earlier about this. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm on the John Stewart end of this. I, it's pizza casserole. I don't really. I mean, like John Stewart it. said it was delicious. Even no, he... no, he said he t- made two statements. He initially said deep dish pizza is not pizza yes. it's a piece of casserole and then he went back on it probably for publicity just so the guy from fucking Lumal Naughty when the guy came him. sliced him a piece he said it was delicious though yeah I mean he probably spit it out afterwards I, I've eaten my fair share of Lumal Naughty's. it's fine I don't know I, it's too much cheese for me I, which is the one that just puts like a meat disc on your pizza is that Lumal Naughty's no, or is it I think that's uh, Giordano's Giordano's ugh I've only eaten Giordano's Martin all times. But. Yeah. All right, so we were all saying how much we like the current standard, though. Like, I played four FNMs now, yeah. if I there think, was uh, of this format. If there was another GP before Providence of the standard format, I would probably make an attempt to go to it. Yeah, I, it's, like since, the, since the PT, I think I'd probably run maybe eight Moto Leagues yeah. online. I, Which I, is demonstrably up for you from previous oh, format. Oh, for sure. I, I, I hadn't... I mean, up from zero, so infinity <laughs> up. I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um... Yeah, so that, that that would be a lot for me. I guess probably like one a week on average. Um, and uh, I've been really enjoying it. I started playing Mardu maybe like a month ago. I think I got four four or so leagues in with it, and I really liked it. Yeah, but you I, I play played zombies diff- first, right? I was thinking about zombies. I was thinking about energy like a month ago. I, yeah. I kind of like that coming out of the PT because I, I I thought the I was like under the scenario where Mono Red was incredibly popular, and it turned out not to be the case of this GP. But I liked Teamer Energy against. I thought Teamer would be the most popular deck this week. I think Teamer yeah. was very and it, it was still. for sure. It, I, I played against it. I think three times in the GP. You said four. I played against it three. Uh, yeah, three in the GP and once the day before the trial. Yeah. But it, it's the kind of format where like, if you play seven rounds, you could easily play five, six different yeah. opponents. Oh, right? for sure. Like, yeah. I could have played against it three more times if I decided to play today. Um, yeah, I mean, you, all sorts of different decks. I had a home one round. I mean, yeah. Horse Tribal. I did not yeah. play Horse Tribal in the GP, although I, <laughs> I would have loved to. Now that I feel like I'm a master against that, that attack, I know exactly how to attack. At one and one. And let me tell master. you, it's, it's not very complicated. You just got to kill the, the Make horse. sure you just kill the horse. Yeah. That's the only thing the that matters. The rest of their cards stick, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nah. On the turn that they can play the horse, leave man up to kill the horse. Just Otherwise, there's going to be two horses. Otherwise, there's going to be horses. Just kill the horse. Um,. Yeah. Maybe Horse Tribal should have blue so they could dispel your removal spell. Would, would Horse Tribal become unbeatable if they had blue? I don't think Horse Tribal's a good deck, no. 
Sounds unbeatable to me. I don't know how you could ever beat them if they dispelled your face. Yeah, I... Uh, okay. okay. You're sharing memes? I, how, I can't see the meme? Yeah, uh, it's uh, Isaiah Thomas in a Cleveland Cavaliers uh, hoodie. But did you read the text? No. Your Cavs great? Just read it. I, I You read it. It's some kid with Isaiah Thomas wearing... Where Isaiah Thomas is wearing Cavs, a uh, Cavs hoodie. And the text says, new Cavs gear. Mom says, I like that. Did you get one? Question mark. And the kid says, no, they're not on sale anywhere yet. And the mom replies, where did that kid get one? <laughs> it's because Isaiah Thomas is short. And then he replies, mom, that's not a kid. It's Isaiah Thomas. How do you feel about the Isaiah Thomas trade? I'm actually kind of curious to hear about uh, that. So I think, first of all, I mean, obviously... Kyrie has shown a remarkably low level of strat- strategic thinking. Mm-hmm. Like this is, enthusiasm. <laughs> like, this is, like, on the order of, I think the earth is flat, like, his level of strategic thinking on this. Like, it's, it's, it's so dumb, right? He, hurt, he hurts his own brand tremendously on this. Like, can you, like, he, one of the, two of the teams that he said he wanted, he would be willing to go to were Miami and uh and san antonio hmm. can you imagine popovich ex- i don't care how good a player is can you imagine popovich accepting a player who did what he did yeah, it, not even, it seemed a little it's not bit even counter to what he was saying like i, I kind of understand the, you go to your own team right the celtics yeah. whether or not that's the right spot but, but that you get that kind of brand recognition that you're the only player on the team and the superstar going to the spurs yeah, like, it's like he's he's definitely worse it than doesn't Kyrie, matter right? how good a player is popovich would never take a player who did what Kyrie did right yeah. like popovich's first criteria is he says i don't even care if the players are good they have to have a certain level of good but we'll play them in the se- in the in yeah. the in the team system and we'll make them good. Right. That's how Popovich runs his team, right? Everybody plays 20 minutes, nobody gets all-star numbers, we always win 60 games. That's that's the Popovich system, okay? Like it's a good system. Look, look at, <laughs> seriously, look at the, how, when they won the title, like Tony Parker played 6 minutes in the all-star game and Kawhi Leonard didn't make the all-star team, okay? Like Popovich, the Popovich system is you just have to be a certain level of good, right? Yeah. You don't have to be superstar level. We're going to get to the NBA Finals. Mm. Unless somebody does something like cripple our best player, right? When we're up by 20 points, right? Like, that's how he does it, right? He, he, uh. um, so, uh, he, he would never take a player like that. Did Kyrie Irving forget the NBA least good record he had when him and Deion Waiters, who, by the way, were three years younger at the time, were the backcourt of the Cleveland Cavaliers. He wants to go to Miami. Deion Waiters is like the leading scorer at shooting guard in Miami. Like, that that's the situation he wants Deion to go Deion Waiters also didn't even like him, right? Wasn't it like Deion Waiters complained about how Kyrie and Tristan Thompson played were buddy just ball. doing buddy ball? Yeah. yeah. So, but he, like, he's... Like, this is a, a shocking level of non, non-strategic thinking. Like, I'm gonna recreate my 13-win team, it, 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 except with fewer assets. That's that's his one scenario. His other scenario is the best coach in the NBA is gonna suddenly suspend everything that makes his system work to take a prima donna at max yeah. contracts who doesn't want to play with other players. The like, Celtics were probably the best destination he could have ended up in, though. Well, no. So given the situation that happened, I think the Cavs absolutely fleeced the Celtics. Yeah. Like Jay Crowder for Kyrie Irving straight up is a fleecing crowder isn't a superstar but he's also the least his contract is unbelievably good yeah Kyrie is a max contract all-star who never stays on the floor okay it doesn't play defense so here's the other thing like i'm not a i, I would never pretend you know in like 
Homerishness or like uh, whatever revisionist history now that this trade's happening that I was ever a big Isaiah Thomas fan. I think Isaiah Thomas, largely speaking, is overrated. Mm. I also think Kyrie's colossally overrated, though. Both of them are like good offensive players. Kyrie's like a poet on offense, but he's a paper bag on defense, right? But Isaiah was better in every way than Kyrie last year. There's nothing that Kyrie's better than Isaiah except for three-point shooting, which is really important, right? Yeah. But Isaiah had historically good... Um, true shooting percentage for a point guard. It's unbelievable. He's our third leading scorer in the NBA last year. He, and he actually put up all-star numbers, like superstar numbers even, right? And he was NBA second team. Like, he was better in every way than Kyrie last year. I didn't even know that straight-up trade is a fleecing because Isaiah gets paid like $10 million less than Kyrie right now. Yeah, if you're just replaying last year or right again this year. But, but, like, but that was an all-time best year for Isaiah. Yeah, but Kyrie's never on the floor. That's the other thing that people don't remember. Kyrie has played six years in the NBA. In three of the six years, he's he's missed in excess of 20 games, okay? Right? Like, he's just always hurt, right? Yeah. And he doesn't play defense, right? So that, that's the... I mean, it's, like, it's kind of comparable to Isaiah, too, in, the, in a Well, Isaiah can't play defense. He's 5'8", right? <laughs> like, can't well, he's got, he's got a lot of heart. Right? He's got a lot of heart. Like, even before the trade, like, Clark has always loved Isaiah because he's just like, he's 5'8", and he can put up all-star numbers, right? There's something special about him, yeah. you know? And, and I, I totally respect that, right? But if you just look at that... Like, the Crowder side is a fleecing. The Isaiah side is a fleecing. But then we get the Brooklyn pick. Yeah, yeah the Brooklyn And then we get picks. the random other pick. Like, this is one of the most... Wait, you got a Brooklyn pick, too? Yeah. yeah, yeah, they got one of the Brooklyn picks. But Brooklyn's going to be better 2018 Brooklyn pick. He's got the Brooklyn pick and then he got a second round 2020 pick? Yeah, but that, that's yeah, just I mean, a that's toss in, whatever. But it's, it's not the only nothing. one. I, I mean, I remember that the Brooklyn pick was in the talk. But I wasn't sure. I would was actually guaranteed. think... I think this is one of the most lopsided superstar trades in the history of the NBA. Wow. Like... Almost any trade that involves like a legitimate all star moving on from one team to another is lopsided at some level. Right? Cough, like, Carmelo, cough. What? Carmelo. Um, which Carmelo? With the Nuggets? Yeah. The Nuggets. I mean, the Nuggets got like two picks over two years. I, I mean, yeah, Carmelo's then, worthless. I mean, now he's worthless. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's worthless then. There was also, there was other players that were good at the time in that trade. I too. actually like, thought Wilson that Chandler, the Nuggets, Danilo, it, that was the last year that uh, Masai Ujiri was uh, was in charge of the Nuggets, right? And then he switched to well, fleecing yeah. the Knicks from another team. Well, so didn't the Knicks and that didn't Denver in that trade get two first round picks, Wilson Chandler and Danilo? Danilo. Yeah, yeah. And, and but I think Gallinari was going to better than the, end of the year anyway. than Carmelo anyway. Yeah, or you're saying it was favorable? Like I feel like the Knicks. I think got it was like the last screwed. big trade that Masai yes. Ujiri did for Denver, right? He, yes. he destroyed the Knicks on that trade. Yes, his entire career is just destroying okay, we're in the Knicks. Agreement, I think. No, <laughs> I said that the Knicks got. Oh, okay, sorry. I'm acknowledging that. All right, got it. When a I, superstar is moved, bad shit. Somebody happens. gets somebody yes. gets fleeced, right? So, I mean, just think about it, right? Like when when. LeBron left the Cavs in 2010, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they did a sign-in trade just so the Cavs would not get nothing. I mean, like, he could have just walked, right? The Cavs just got, like, three second-round draft picks, right, which, is, make which is fine, right? And then they just moved those into first-round draft picks, which ended up being number one draft players that they wasted picks on. <laughs> Didn't Chris Paul do a sign-in trade this year, too? Uh, yeah, I think, like, Chris Paul is a time bomb. I Don't get me wrong, I love Chris Paul. Yeah. But he's had one knee for three years, right? He's the fact that he's playing at this level is unbelievable. He has literally one knee. Sure. Uh, and he's north of thirty. It's a fantastic knee, though. <laughs> I don't know, man. He's, the Rockets could be good this year. The right? is, they probably have a year worth of any any player over thirty is an implosion that's waiting to happen. That's the that's the thing. Is I don't Trevor Ariza thirty yet? He's way over thirty. Yeah. He's been he's been thirty for a while. He's still playing really well. 
He's the thing is Trevor Ariza. He's the kind of guy. Like he's his game isn't predicated on athleticism. No, he, he's like he's like he's a fundamentals guy. He he's all, like a low level Kawhi Leonard, right? He's like a Danny Green. He's not like he's not a low level Kawhi Leonard. He's just like okay. He's Kawhi a, Lever, Kawhi Leonard is the high level Kawhi Leonard. Like people who do the same thing as him are are a low level version of him, right? No, like Trevor Ariza doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Plays. Yeah. Plays long defense, right? Those are the those are his defining well, characters. I was thinking like about it. I do think age, that Trevor Ariza would fit insanely well into like the Spurs. Oh, he would be a great Spurs because he's just like he does everything that the Spurs want to be doing. He like he spots up near corners. He spots up the he, best places where he's ball a Shane Battier, right? Like that's there you he's, go. He's literally a go. Shane Battier. That's where he is. Right? He's, he's like is. a not crazy, not crazy Ron Artest. <laughs> Wait, which one? Uh, Meta World Peace or Panda's Friend? I mean, not the one that concussed James Harden because James Harden came off the bench. <laughs> you, you know this story? No. So I guess like James Harden, James Harden who's the best shooting guard, has been the best shooting guard in the NBA for God knows how long, yeah, including yeah. when he was coming off the bench. I'm familiar with James Harden. Right, so James Harden's like destroying Meta World Peace or whatever. Okay. So Meta World Peace like elbows him in the head and concusses him out of the game. And his reason was... I'm just not going to take that from a bench player. <laughs> this, this is back when Harden was, was on OKC. Okay. Okay. But like it was like their it was like their um, Manu Ginobili strategy, right? Where right. Like, our best player comes off the bench, yeah. right? Because he destroys the second the second squad, and like you know, Thabo Thabalosha is a great player, right? He's just you know he's one of these he's like no James long, Harden though. It, well, Harden's an offensive wonderkind, and and Thabalosha is a defensive player, right? Yeah. So, but when your when your opening squad has got both. Uh, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook on it. You don't need another gun, right? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, a shield might be good. <laughs> like when you have those two guys on the floor. So like, all right. So first rotation will go in. We'll put literally the best, the best pure scorer of the modern era in play, right? Like, which James Harden is thirty percent better than almost any other scorer in the modern era, right? So uh, as they put him out, he's just like, yeah, I don't, I don't back down on bench players. <laughs> so he could cost him. Like because he strategy. came off the bench. Right? And how many points did he score after he concussed him? I, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I don't think he scored very many that yeah, game. See? <laughs> yeah, he missed three games though. I think my favorite revenge game was uh, what was it? It was uh, Portland versus the Spurs. And so I think there was like one or two months where Kawhi Leonard was out because like. Wesley Matthews did something like injured him. Yeah, essentially just to like. Was it this year? It might have been two years. It was might have been a year year or two ago, and so the next game that they played, uh, Kawhi Leonard I think held Wesley Matthews to like zero points or something while he was still on the while he was still on the Blazers, not even on the Mavericks. It was just like, oh, just so good. I love Kawhi. I mean, I love Kawhi so much. But you know what people don't realize about Kawhi? He's been the third best player in the league since his rookie season. But people just don't realize it because he played shooting guard for his rookie season instead of small forward. And yeah. he, did, he didn't play that many minutes. So people like people didn't realize that the actual reason that the, that the Spurs had that step change, because they were like, oh, I think the Spurs are about to be irrelevant now. And then they went to finals, finals, you know, yeah. NBA championship, was just the addition of Kawhi. Like, they put this MVP caliber player on the team... And very but, under the radar. Yeah, basically. but nobody realized that he was yeah. so good because the, the, they were still under like this kind of big three narrative. Don't don't get me wrong. Even like old Tim Duncan at thirty seven or whatever was still playing at all star level, but he was only playing like seventeen minutes a game or mm. something, right? Mm-hmm. So really, I mean, in those most recent seasons, and his like very last season, I think that's the case. But before that, he was still playing. At no, no, he, more but he's that. still 
on a permanent basis, he's producing at all-star level, right? Yeah. And Ginobili's never not produced at all-star level his entire, his entire career, but he, he, he never played a huge amount of minutes, right? He always came off the bench. And it was only Tony Parker who ever made the all-star team, which made no sense. The guy that scores 12 points a game is the least good player in the big three. But he scores so fancily. He's, he also so, he's such a fancy dates sport. an actress, I mean. No, da- they, they dated. Dated. He's, he does not go out with Ava Longoria anymore. The fact that they got they got married in 2007, the week after they beat the, the Cavs in the finals, which mm. was the dumbest thing anyone's ever done. Because at the time, Parker was the young guy on the team, right? He was in his early 20s. Now he's old, right? Like, that was 10 years ago that they won that title. Um, but, like... You're gonna you're gonna marry this guy whose profession is traveling from city to city <laughs> with a six pack. Right? That's, that's his profession. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, like yeah, Kawhi is just was so productive because no one can score on him, yeah. and he doesn't make any mistakes. Like, and then whatever they have Danny Green, like all these guys just don't make any mistakes. Uh, do you remember? Because you're a you're a Bulls fan, like when they added Bellinelli. Like Bellinelli. Oh was come like, on! Don't put me in with the. I'm not a Bulls fan. Just Bellinelli has to, a ring with the Spurs, doesn't he? <laughs> I mean, Bell, they played Bellinelli to All Star level, right? Like, and then he then he regressed back to Bulls level the second he left the team. Is I watch the Bulls games. Now? It doesn't matter anymore. They I got they got Bulls. a ring. I watch Bulls games because they're on local TV. But I I, like, I I recall watching a Bulls playoffs game with you in my living room. Not okay, and I was ago. I was rooting for the Bulls because they were I think it was the conference finals or yeah, semifinals the Cavs against them. the Cavs. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna root for the Bulls. I live in the city, but I mean, my, my allegiance is to the Knicks, for sure. It's such a bad allegiance, though. <laughs> yeah, it's a one way allegiance. I mean, James Dolan, you know. It, you know, I root for the Bulls just because of Robin Lopez. I, I wish he was back on the Knicks. I wish they never traded him. Robin Lopez was a Nick. Yeah, oh, he yeah. was a Nick for a season. He was I my favorite. I think he's probably my favorite Nick ever. You know, it's it's funny because Brian Brian made this call when Pilgrim's Eye came out. He's like, "This is gonna be your favorite card," and I'm like, "Shut up! I'm never gonna play this card." And then I won a 5K with it, right? Like, definingly. But he's just like, when the, when the Cavs got J.R. Smith, he's just like, "Mark my word, J.R. Smith is your favorite player." I'm like, I hate <laughs> inefficient chuckers. Okay, inefficient chuckers. He's just like a shittier Kobe. That's the thing that I said. Yeah, yeah. But like J.R. Smith in Cleveland, he's just like, calm down, and he became a lockdown defender and his good games he lands like six threes how can he not be my favorite player i love jr smith so much and that's the point in the podcast where mike talks about how much he loves jr smith, love smith. Yeah. i love the Cavs. i like smith and corver you know what's really weird is shumpert started on the knicks and then jr smith was the sixth man right but on mm-hmm. the Cavs, jr starts and shumpert comes off the bench which i never really said was yeah, shumpert was my player favorite player in the knicks at that time but uh yeah shump was pretty awesome 21 shump street yeah uh, I like Shumpert. I mean, Shumpert was also, like, the main deal in the trade, right? And, like, Jair was a throw-in. Well, and it's not, it wasn't a throw-in. Well, he was the Knicks young. were like, you have to bribe us to take yeah, yeah, yeah. Dion Waiter's contract. He was a contract match, and, and Shumpert was the yeah. talent. Because he was, like, the third year in the league or something. At if time. it were just, like, a sw- straight swap Shumpert for Dion Waiters, the Cavs get the better shooting guard and the way better contract, right? Yeah, so, the contract math probably doesn't even work out at that point. Yeah, so we had to take JR's... Ins- his contract isn't insane, right? His contract is insane now. Yeah. His current contract pays him more money than we're he made his... We're in a whole different world now, right, with the, with well, the way the new... His current works. contract is more money than he's made his entire career. Yeah, um, His that. previous 16 years in the league or whatever. Um... But LeBron was like, dude, we just won the title and we have no other options. You kind of have to pay him. <laughs> so JR has this $52 million contract. Do you think JR is wearing a shirt right now? I, I, we could check his Instagram feed, but I'm guessing no. Yeah. I, what are the, what, what's the, what's the percentage? What's the line? 
Oh, well, there's no way to check. At any point in time where JR is so, wearing a shirt so or not. There's a girl in my office who, she lives on the west side by yeah. the river. And, like, JR and LeBron just, like, play in her building. And she they, she showed me, like, some girl in the, in the building just, they have a, uh, so they have a, 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 a pretty nice, but I, I hung out at her off, uh, at her, at her um, apartment for the, for the eclipse. It's, like, on, mm, the, yeah, on the water. Yeah. So she has, like, a. She has a, like a porch on like the sixty second floor. We watch the yeah. clips from, but they have a a gym that Carmelo Anthony designed, I guess. And like Przingis and and Katie live there. So Katie literally he bought four apartments and knocked down like a bunch of walls to make a super apartment. So Przingis and Katie live there, and so they just it's like us like if we just have a draft to be like, hey, want to come over and draft? <laughs> she just will take iPhone footage, and I'm like, wait, is this what I think it is? She's like, yes, that's J R Smith. Jared Smith's brother, LeBron James, and Kevin Durant playing two on two, right now. <laughs> Seems pretty good. Like, I guess they just they just chill at KD's apartment because it's like super big or whatever. And like, I guess Porzingis can't get into their games even though he lives there. I um, mean, I would imagine just a single apartment that KD would would be buying would be pretty big. Yeah, knocking. No, he bought four. Yeah, and knocked yeah, down all the walls. Yeah. <laughs> Like it probably would be pretty good. We just got a dog. He needs all that room. Yeah. He doesn't. What city does he? Does I guess he doesn't live in Oakland. He lives here, right? So um, I would so imagine he, lives he probably he has wants, a place probably in San has Francisco like three too. houses. Oh uh, sure, whatever. But yeah. I mean, I don't know. Do you think LeBron like stays in one of their apartments? You think he's like? Yeah, I think that. I mean, you don't think that like NBA players would like trade off homes on games and shit. Well, no, no, they're just like. Their other players are there, right there, because like, Katie is playing against LeBron in the video, yeah. right? Like, so they're both there. Like, he's just like, I, mean, I guess LeBron they make crash it, on they my can couch. Have, they but, can probably afford to have, you know, five houses. In- no, 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 no. I'm saying, like, do you think he stays in a hotel, or do you think he just crashes at Mellow's? Like, that's that, that's all I'm asking, right? Yeah, like, yeah, stays sure. at his house. I'm sure. If you ha- if you have four giant apartments knocked into one, we're probably talking like ten thousand square feet. I'm sure he has plenty of room yeah. to to house his. his uh, NBA it's on, friends. It's on the 69th floor. Oh. Clever. Yeah, I was, like, super jealous. And, and you could just tell which one is J.R. Smith's brother. Not, like, <laughs> He's not as good as the other one. Like, but imagine. you could, J.R. is pretty Wasn't J.R. Smith's brother signed to a... Yeah, yeah, he was on know, a Knicks briefly. He had a Nick contract. He's, yeah. he's... I mean, like, J.R., like, looks really good. Like, and, like these are... They're playing street I mean, ball, I'm right? pretty yeah. sure that's why he was signed, was to make... J.R. Smith looked good, right? right. So, no, he was signed because Jarrah's... It was like... It was the season, I think... It was like the last winning Knicks season. And 2012? They were yeah. pretty good that year. Like, J.R. was sixth man of the year. Yeah, and somehow J.R. convinced the Knicks to get his brother signed. And I think his stat line, his career stat line is like... I don't know, 0-2 or something from the field. And what? it's just nothing but like zeros. Where's Seth Curry playing now? Because Seth Curry was a Cavs very briefly. Seth Curry, I think, is on the Suns. Like he, or he's either on the Suns or he's on the Mavs. Like, I mean, isn't like two two standard deviations from Steph Curry still a legendary level player? <laughs> I mean, Apparently not. <laughs> I mean, J.R. Smith's brother's probably like five deviations, so that's just like not good enough. He's like, but just J- barely good enough for. But the J.R. Team. is like conditionally a very good NBA player, and on average, not a great NBA player, right? But that's different J.R. from J.R. Brick versus J.R. Swish. Like, yeah. like. Team Swish, the nights that he's on, there's he's better than Clay Thompson, right? He's just not on every night, right? <laughs> but that's different from Steph Curry, who's arguably the best player of all time, right? Like, just two standard deviations from him should at least be like Charles Barkley, right? <laughs> he's small too, though, isn't he? Like, it's it's a little different. But he's uh, a point guard. Seth is shorter than Steph. I yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of deviation in your shooting percentage of that size of a player who can't really play defense for it to start to fall yeah. off a little bit. I mean, I feel like he could just train. So the reason that Steph became good, right? So remember, he was, he was injured all the time in his early career. Yeah, yeah. They made him into a workout freak, right? So he they, he does a lot of weightlifting. Mm-hmm. And what... Um, well, he needs to, like, reinforce his ankles. Yeah, that's... To, he, so all of, his extra, all of his workouts need to involve, like, ankle reinforcement or something yeah so the thing was they thought he had weak ankles right early yeah. in his career it didn't actually wasn't actually the case he had weak ankles he played at such a high level and like he was putting so much concussion onto his ankles that he was getting he's getting injured because he was playing at like a you know way higher yeah. motor than than the human body's supposed to run at so then they they made him into a i guess he like deadlifts 450 like he's a he's a freaking animal but the other thing the weird thing that is a that's a byproduct of that is that he can retain his shooting form and and shoot with a high level of musculature like from half court which is something that he's done on many occasions yeah. to to highlight reels that nobody else has ever been able to do it's because they don't train like him so i feel like well also his shooting form is different than other people yeah but he can retain it that's the thing right like most people like if they're taking a, a half court shot they just look like they're chest passing right that's his shooting form right so mm, no his shooting form isn't chest passing. His shooting form is like arms all up in the air, and it's just nothing but arc. But he can do that. Right? But he from can do he that does, from long it, distance. Yeah, he does it from everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So like other people have to change their shooting, but they their wrist, right? So they can't retain their shooting form as as distance goes off. They don't have enough strength. Yeah. Well, You're just chucking it. Is it his, yeah. Well, everyone else is chucking it, but he's just like managed to condition himself to where, like, his form is always shooting at its apex. But I think it's probably he just jumps slightly higher from certain distances. Like, he probably doesn't jump as high as he can when he's at the three-point line, but he probably jumps almost as high as he can when he's at half court. So my argument would be he's one of the greatest players of all time, certainly like one of the top five players in the NBA right now. If you compare him to LeBron James, right? LeBron James's greatness is predicated on a level of physicality that has been achieved by maybe one human being in the history of the human race, right? It's LeBron James. His his body was built for basketball. He's like super fast, super strong, super coordinated. You can't really replicate that. Steph Curry's greatness is like conditioning and shooting form. You can teach that to somebody. That's He's not well, so you can, fast. He's not so different than anybody else. Well, I mean, the thing is, though, you can condition him if his body has the physical capability of reaching that because like we can condition we can try to condition him into no, no, no. something but i can't do it he's, he's you know and... i'm just saying like there are other people of his build right yes. there's no other people of lebron's build lebron is lebron is like fast as a point guard skilled as a point guard strong as a running back like that's not that's not normal yes like if you you, you like if you can't take like draymond green right you like draymond green has some of lebron in him right Draymond Green doesn't have LeBron's ball handling, right? No. He'll never have LeBron's passing. He'll never have LeBron's vision. But like, you know, you can have you can have Steph Curry, who may be a little bit better in some of those things than LeBron. He'll never be able to put his shoulder down and knock down three uh, three Defensive Player of the Year candidates on his way to dunking in their face, right? He has things that other people don't have all at the same time. But I think you can't teach LeBron. You can teach you can teach Curry. I don't know. Sure. And I'm saying he should have taught his brother. Yeah. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> I mean, it's the brother's fault. It's all Seth. Maybe the dad just paid too much attention to his stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a pretty, good, pretty good idea, man. I mean, <laughs> if you're like, okay, say you have two sons, right? And you're like, tell you what. One of your sons can make the NBA. 
Both but of you, them can make the NBA, right? No, no, no. One of your sons can make the other the NBA. The other one's going to be the greatest player of all time. Or you can have two sons that are both like all-star middling, player. no, middling contract level players for 10 years. Why are you talking about the Smith brothers like this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably the right choice. Right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, greatest player of all time in the NBA. Mm. Okay. Magic, what do you guys like in the new set? We spent a lot of time talking about dinosaurs on the way back from GP. Yeah, Julian <laughs> really wanted to talk about dinosaurs on the but way I, back. But I don't actually think it's any... We're not really sure it's any better than anything that exists right now. <laughs> we're, he, he's just trying to convince himself, himself. Yes, I was dinosaurs are good. I was a little excited about dinosaurs for a second, and then I, I came up with a new paradigm. Which is like, would I rather have this dinosaur... Or a combustible gear hook. Yeah, yeah. No, I, which I think is totally right. Kal- <laughs> Kaladesh is so much more... Kaladesh block is so much more powered than Amonkhet by, like, a lot. And it seems like by, by the current block. Although we, we don't have a lot to, to really judge it on. The other thing is, like, dinosaurs just sound awesome. So I was trying to think in my head, like, what if instead of dinosaurs, they were just, like, beasts or something, right? Like, I feel like I'd be a lot less excited about it and anyway. you're just going all the way back to contested cliffs? Just... Yeah. Ah, exactly. Ravenous Maloth. Contested I mean, cliffs. <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, we played that in extended. Yeah, that was an embarrassing deck. <laughs> I mean, I almost made top eight that one pizza, and it won. It won a pizza queue that week. Did yeah, it really? Yes, I know. Michael Lay won it's just that Embarrassing week. for me. I think I went one too. Um, it was anyhow. not the, the opposition deck won that pizza queue, and our deck was not prepared for the opposition deck. Elf that is opposition. Fair. What? Yeah. Elf opposition. <laughs> I lost to elf opposition. Right. We didn't have our only cards against it were a five casting cost sorcery speed beast right so if we had like some sort of naturalized we would have been able to kill our opposition but they would just lock down all of our mana so we could never cast our insanely expensive answer which yeah. is like a non-answer if they you can't cast it right which was the the, the five drop but like our deck was actually great in like most of the other matchups i lost to colcano playing tooth and nail and i lost to elf opposition elf opposition one, one mm-hmm. you. i feel like if i just had naturalized i would have beaten him yeah um yeah, I think we, we started talking about dinosaurs, actually, because we were talking about Matt's deck. We're like, well, this deck's pretty bad now if you have none of the Eldrazi in it. But, so we're thinking the dinosaurs might be able to fill in the, the, the hole. I don't think, probably I not I mean, the case. I think the biggest problem was that in rotation, you lose... You lose the Thraven Inspector, which is really the killer for the Mardu deck. Yeah, you lose anyway. the... You what lose Mardu the best deck? Road, road bump. What do you mean? Everything's gonna rotate it's out of mostly, the Mardu deck. Well, it's no, mostly you lose, Raven Inspector. You lose. Yeah. You lose. A <laughs> Wait, is that everything? You lose I mean, a the rest of the deck for is... aggressive decks in general. Like the red deck seems like it's pretty easily replaceable in a new format. I mean, you just need a replacement for a one-two-one guy, and then there's gonna be a fungible burn spell. And the yeah. entire rest of the deck. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think you just end up building it a little more towards artifacts. So you just play Scrap Heap Scrounger, and you play in the red deck? Apprentice. I, you just become red black. I actually again. think that the red deck might go with um, Captain Lannery Storm. What that? It's that the new awesome. Three? It's R two for a two-two creature uh, with haste. When it attacks, you make a treasure. It has the ability. Uh, you can sack a treasure for plus one plus zero. Oh. But if you just cast it, attack, right? You can attack and then sack a treasure to cast, like, a shock, for example, to get a blocker out of the way. Or you could just be a 3-2. Or you can leave the treasure and then just cast a Glorybringer in the next turn. So I think that it will have a high incentive to go to 5. Because you're going to have this entire new suite of mana ability. Sure. Um, so, and that, yeah. that card just... It also, like, I guess it also makes a treasure for uh, Inventor's Apprentice. Right? Yeah, yeah, if that's the that's replacement. Pretty, yeah, that's pretty good. So, like, um, like... On crop crash is only an okay card. Like Captain Crasher is a very good card. 
<laughs> it's a great card in this strategy because everybody has haste, but nobody played it before there was a deck with 20 other haste creatures. Yeah. Um, it's intrinsically not that powerful yeah. a card. In this deck, it's very good. It's though. really good because it just it pushes this thing. Like It's so hard to react to the red deck because like the only way that you can react to multiple haste creatures at once is usually to tap on your own turn. So there's just another thing that's going to smash you when you're tapped out. Yeah. Uh, Captain Landry Storm can take exactly that spot, right? Because it could be a 3-2 attack on, on 3 or it can do this thing like make a glory bringer or like have additional power with more treasures, you know, et cetera. Or like just get blockers out of the way with one casting cost removal, of which there's no shortage. Yeah. Like you could even play cards like uh, Fatal Push, like you were saying, if you want to go red black. Yeah. Um, you can easily cast that off of a treasure. Yeah, Scrappy Scrounger is interesting too. That card's obviously. And it also improves hard to carry. I, it just might end up being a functionally different deck. Uh, I think that black red pirates is going to be a different deck. I think that the four casting cost pirate is awesome. Which one is that? Uh, I think it's called Rowdy Crew. It's four casting costs for a 3-3 three, three Trample. When you cast it, you draw three three cards, discard two. Is that right? Yeah, oh, and yeah, if yeah. you discard cards that share a creature type... No, a type. A type. So it could be two instants. Uh, so yeah, so if you discard two lands or you discard... Yeah. Yeah, it gets two counters? Yeah, it's 5-5. Five, five. I mean, it, Why is that good? It's worst case scenario is it's four mana for a 3-3 three, three draw card. Its best case scenario is it's four mana for a five five draw card. It's it's three three draw card is a fail state with trample. Yeah, right. And and I see how like okay, you, you hold excess lands or whatever spells you don't need, right? So you're kind of looting. Potentially. You don't get to pick. It's, no, no, it's, I know it's, it's random, random. But you yeah. right, like you potentially might discard a land that you didn't need. Um, but I don't know. I mean, how often are you actually hitting with two of the same type? I mean, your your deck is pretty is spread pretty evenly, right? You, you're going to have twenty two lands. You're going to have I think it depends how you build your deck. creatures and then a mix of instruments and sorceries. I think it depends how you build your deck. You build it with a bunch of cards that are, like, going to the graveyard? Yeah, like I don't Scrounger, know. I, I, Scrounger? I mean, yeah, Scrounger is a great example of something. Like if there's that. cards that you can get value out of by putting in the graveyard, I, I could see it. But, like, like if you're relying on creatures? it to somehow be a 4-mana 5-5, five, five, I don't think that's going to happen very often. It's not... You're not relying on it to be a 4-mana 5-5. Five, five. It's worst-case scenario is it's a 3-mana draw card. I mean, sorry, 3-3 three, three draw card. Like, drawing a card is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four, but four, yeah. would you play... If the text was just 4-mana, 3-3, three, three, draw a card, is that a good card? No. Okay. But it that's not the text. That's the fail state. It's. I think fail state is kind of putting it in a weird way, because it... That's... I, I, I don't know what the, the odds are, but I would... I would venture the to, odds vary depending on your decks. Yeah, I would venture to guess that it's upwards of 75% of the time that that's what it's going to... I think over 50% of the time, it's going to be a 3-3. Three, three. I guess we could... You know, I'm sure we'll, we'll find out in the, in the future once people start designing decks, but... Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's the if that's how you want to spend your four drop. In, in There's the, no the way to deck. control it either, right? Because like it, depending on what's on top of your deck, which you largely don't have control over. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think your affect- best case scenario is you're holding a land, right? Because that that's likely to be the most popular um, type in your deck. So that if you're yeah. holding a land, that you're likely to have the so off the. One thing that might happen is let's say you have no cards in hand, right? You just rip it, you cast it. Mm. It's improved your situation substantially. Yeah, right? you've essentially you've drawn it. A card, like you were saying, and who knows what kind of stuff is going to be available for graveyard, right? Like, what if you, what if your deck is like some reanimator aspects to it? Yeah, um, I really like Grappling Pounce Scrounger, having played it for for the weekend and and, and beforehand. I think that card's excellent. So, um, uh, it's potentially probably, discarding it off of that seems great. I think this could be a pretty good unlicensed disintegration deck. I mean, unlicensed disintegration. You're already running the Bomac Couriers. I, we were talking. You yeah, know, I said it was possibly a red black artifact deck anyway. Yeah, I think it's just yeah. You played a unlicensed generation. You play Scrappy Scrounger, Bomac Courier. Uh, Is there going to be Shock and Magma Jet, Magma Spray rather? Uh, they're both legal. Yeah. 
So I think your removal suite should be Shock, Magma Spray, and Last uh, and Fatal Push, mm -hmm. because just because of Captain Lannery Storm, like the ability to just get a single mana on demand from during combat is, I think, a super I mean, underrated ability. That upgrade is also. I mean, it's like just the fact that all your removal spells having the capacity to be instants is good because that means you can play it at any point, turn three, turn four, turn five, and you have the capacity to. Con uh, sequence on license disintegration as long as your lands are coming to play untapped a braid on turn four uh if you have a land untapped just... uh, as long as your removal spells are instant it's great the, the tutu orc is actually really good too what is this there's a rb for a tutu orc pirate and it gets i believe it's plus, plus one, one plus, plus o one. it's plus, plus one plus, plus one. one for every other attacking pirate yeah so if you just have him on turn two and then turn three you attack with captain landry storm it's just an insane amount of damage and with the capacity to remove blockers at the same time with Fatal Pusher or, or yeah. Shock. I wasn't sure if that card was actually good because I didn't know what other pirates were. Yeah, but Kathleen, now that you know about Kazalanary Storm, it's... Slightly better. <laughs> I mean, Oncrop Crasher's great. Well, not a pirate. Yar. Uh, so what is it? There's Merfolk, Pirates, and... Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. And Vampires. White Vampires. White Vampires. Like Crystal Green vampire. Merfolk, White Vampires, Naya Dinosaurs, Grixis Pirates. Um, I'm most excited about pirates, least excited about merfolk. I'm excited about merfolk. I love merfolk. I love fishes. How about you, Julian? Um, he's excited about dinosaurs. We, are uh, we were fishes. talking about dinosaurs on a car ride, so I guess I'm most excited about dinosaurs. Yeah. Uh, what there's a, there's a two and a white for a two, three dinosaur with flying that makes all your opponent's creatures come into play tapped, which seems excellent against the red deck. It's two and a white? Two so and a white. three two, casting three. costs two, three. Flyer. So it's similar to a Thalia? Yes. Yeah. But the... Uh, actually, I, I guess I, I didn't play that block. How? What's Folly's power toughness? Three, three two, two with first, first strike. Okay, but, so three two first strike versus two three. It's but pretty also similar. all their non basic lands came into play tapped. Okay, so maybe it's worse than that. Uh, two toughness in a format with like magma spray and shock is different than three toughness. Yeah, like the ability to receive um, uh, like an Earthshaker counter so consistently is not that's not nothing. Right, right, and it turns off all of their many many haste creatures. It seemed like it could be good. Um, we, many of the other dinosaurs there's the the two green green one that uh, whenever it takes damage you draw cards at four five so that that, that seemed to match up kind it's of... four five for four whenever it takes damage you draw a card yeah, yeah. it seemed to match up kind of nicely against the the teamer decks a four five is sort of a, a, a nice place to be against the, the size of creatures that they have and if they have to if the only way they can kill it right is to, to deal with damage with uh it seems really easy to make a dinosaur deck that could just never lose to like an aggro or a mid-range type deck and then, like, probably would always lose to a controller or a ramp deck, like, every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, like, what do you ramp to now that uh, Eldrazi's out? I actually think that, you know, we were talking about, you know, siding out all of your key sorceries against decks that have um, uh, envelop or negate-type effects. Mm. My strategy in, in Green-White Ramp was just to play a ton of, like, Regal Caracals and Linvalos and Ishkanas. That's what I was doing Those kind of things. Because, yeah. um, like... Those aren't like great creatures in the abstract. They're okay, right? Yeah. In the abstract, but they're like, like you don't need a ten out of ten if your opponent tops up at like a five out of ten. If you're just playing like a six or a seven, and the best thing they have is a five, like you're probably gonna win the game. Yeah. And you, certainly, if you play like three three sixes and they played like two fives, you're way ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, and like a caracal blanks all their early cards by itself. Well, that kind of felt like where the these dinosaurs are at, right? Like none of them are super super impressive. They're they're all just sort of. No, it's, they're all, it's like you have to try and form Voltron. Yeah. But, Except like, they can also do things by themselves. Like, right. the lake can still kick people. 
Yeah, but like imagine you're playing against Teamer, like the current incarnation of Teamer. Yeah. Like none of these cards seems as impressive as a Long Tusk Cub to me. Like Long Tusk Cub is one of the most dangerous we cards. We don't in know standard. if there's a Long Tusk Cub. Seems like he could have been a dinosaur at some point. Yeah. It's a. It's, we might adopt him in the dinosaur. Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a saber tooth tiger. <laughs> I, I'm just saying. Look, you're right, but I'm just saying like. It's an honorary dinosaur. The cards I'm terrified of in standard: Long Tusk Cub and the Hydra. Yeah, yeah, no, I, has are it, I, I right? Those are it. Right? One's a lizard, one's a saber-toothed tiger. They're both basically dinosaurs. They go in the dinosaur. I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not scared of much. Those three cards, I'm scared of. Like, I'm not really scared of like long tusked. And Ishkana, people, like, some people, are like, oh man, Ishkana's so hard to beat. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Ishkana. I'm not scared of like a torrential gear hulk, but second turn long tusk cub. First thing I do is look how much energy they have right now, and then I tap my red man as fast as possible. All my all my teamer energy opponents knew immediately against me to use all sink all of their energy into their long tusk cub as soon as possible. <laughs> and like as soon as they like they played in a tune on turn one and they're like, yep, pump it immediately, and then they played a world of virtuals and like pump pump attack you. Yeah, yeah, because then it's it's so hard to deal with. Yeah. The, the thing about Long Tusk Cub is in the mid-game, when they have, like, 11 energy, I don't even know who to kill between the Long Tusk Cub and the, and the Hydra. Yeah, yeah it... and I mean, at the, at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure we're just going to come back to the fact that, like, Caldish and Aether Revolt, are, that's going to be what matters. Uh, I'm not sure that... Yeah, I, I just can't see these cards competing with the energy creatures. That's those, those cards in those sets, to your point, right? Like, the Red Gear Hulk sees no play, and if you, just, if you saw that spoiled, I think, like, that seems like a good card. It's more exciting than any of the dinos the expensive dinosaurs I've seen. Yeah, right? I, I think you're right. And it sees no play. Yeah. So, it, it's... Th that's the thing that's that's holding my enthusiasm. Even, like, the green-black energy deck has kind of fallen off the map, right? Like, that, that deck's basically intact, and it's pretty good. I mean, I get Well, you know what it loses, though? Mana base. Uh, I mean, you lose what the man land, but you still have the, the fast land there. The fast lands are what matter. You have four ether hubs in your hand. They only really play, like, two hissing quagmires. I lost to the quagmires more than anything Oh, wait, else. are you talking about... Just black straight green, black energy? Losing hissing quagmires is pretty big, actually. Yeah, that's I was, what, that's I was I thinking of Teamer. Uh, but that deck could very easily, you know, because it has, um... It has a tune with Aether. You just add a mountain and then just play, like... The same deck with a braid and a licensed disintegration is probably great. Just like... Dude, what kind of artifacts do they have besides Walking Bliss? Is that it? The 3-2 guy that you want to play in every other deck and, uh, and Hearth Karen. Uh, okay, I can see. Yeah, that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a great number of artifacts yeah. to support that. And then you sideboard a braid. Yeah. Or I don't know, main deck. Or, I don't, probably wouldn't main deck a braid, but maybe. Would you rather have a, what the format looks like, I guess. Well, there's no... There's no if people are going to be leaning on gear hulks. Then, then, then a braid is obviously. But there's good. no grasp of darkness to compete with. So actually, a braid mm. gets better. Yeah, yeah. So, I think black, red, green is probably a deck. Yeah. All right. Do you guys want to talk about anything else? Mm. I think we covered it. No, I'm talking about a lot. All right. Thanks we for got casting. Basketball. We got ice. What ice cream flavors did you get tonight? I got green tea and. Fudge almond brittle. I the can't... paleo thing. Paleo fudge almond brittle. So dinosaur flavored fudge almond brittle. <laughs> I guess, yeah. So I also got the the paleo fudge almond brittle, and I got it's all vegan, right? Vegan fudge almond those, brittle. Those flavors were vegan. Yeah, my and, flavor was definitely not vegan. Yeah, and I got the <laughs> I got the vegan peanut butter chocolate chip, and I only got it because like the, I saw the ingredients were like just based on cashews and coconuts. Yeah. It was delicious. I think it's much more delicious than real ice cream. I I, I don't know. Probably I tried a, some of Matt's. It was very good. Yeah, like I was shocked. I'm definitely going yeah, to get this again. You could not tell it was vegan. Yeah. But it was better. Yeah. I don't know. It's probably not vegan. 
<laughs> Probably a lot. I was like, it's smoking egg. So I was, I was, I was talking to the the scooper, and I'm like, yo, is this really paleo? And he's just like looking at me like I'm an idiot. He's just like, it's ice cream, just fucking ice cream. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't know. He just works there. I don't know, man. I feel like I should be knowledgeable. Just let me do my job, man. Just... All right. Thanks for casting. Great seeing you, Julian. You too. Or listening to you, I guess, with the Canadians. I don't know. <laughs>